Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. Um, I, I want to, well, just open your Bibles to Genesis 25. I want to focus today on what I've, it's a teaching that I did some time ago, and it just seemed this morning to be prevalent again in my heart, but it's called the Father's Blessing. Um, so let's start in Genesis 25. I'm going to read some scripture and then give some commentary, and then we'll just see where, where the Holy Spirit takes us. Genesis 25, starting with verse 29. Once Jacob was cooking a stew, and Esau came from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, they, his name was changed to Eden. Edom, not Eden, Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what, what use is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. When Jacob gave Esau bread and a little stew, he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So as we start talking about the father's blessing, the father's blessing centers around birthright and blessing. It centers around something that um, the father or the mother has the ability to impart. So let me, let me first set context. For those of you that are going, well, so a father's blessing counts and a mother's blessing ain't worth crap. That's not what the scripture says. Context, historical context. In that particular culture, it was, the, it was a patriarchal society. So things flowed from the father. The Bible is not saying that the kingdom of God is patriarchal. It's saying in the time that these people lived, this is how culture functioned. All right? So... When you get all torqued sideways about the Old Testament trashing women, the Old Testament actually liberated women in a lot of ways. It didn't trash women. If you go back and you look at the early scriptures, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Do you understand that when it says honor your father and your mother, that commandment moved the woman from chattel to position? In a, in a society where women had no rights and were nothing more than property and could be bought, sold, and used at will. Yeah. And the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and your mother so that life goes well with you. Everybody understood, don't mess with dad. Nobody gave a rip about messing with mom. Except God said, don't do that. That's not the way I handle things. Yeah. So when we read these, please put it in historical context. The Bible is relating to us how something was at the time it was written. It's not making a declaration that it should always be that way. You know, it's, we, I've, I've left my notes at this point, Joe. This is, this is what it looks like, right? 
See, I've even stepped away from them. It's like, no, I'm not looking at you right now. Can't, no, stop. <laughs> uh, and I get lost too. Because now I'm like, well, why did I step away? What was that point? It'll come back in a minute. I'll go back to my notes. That's why notes are always good. You can, all, you can always go back and pick up. Yeah. <laughs> I must have stepped on it on my way over there. Um, yeah. We have a tendency today, and every generation has done the same thing. We have this feeling that we are the most enlightened and those before us are not. Do you realize that every generation feels they're the most enlightened? There was a generation that thought six candles on the table really illuminated the room. And then somebody went, let's do something called a light bulb. And everyone, wow, nobody has lived like us. Nobody is as smart as us. Nobody has figured out societal woes like we have. Oh, cut me a break. All of humanity has felt that way at every generation. And you know what? They're correct. Because at the generation where we're at, the revelation that we as humanity are experiencing, developing, and releasing is new. And it's built on what others have built, which brought us this far. But just to put us in context, in another 100 years, the folks are going to look back at us and go, what in the world were they thinking? Yeah, yeah. They did what? To who? Why? Oh, my goodness. These people were primitive. And we're sitting here going, no, we're enlightened. We're just enlightened idiots. And it'll be for future generations to figure out how much of an idiot we were. And they'll put it in the history books, of course. Right? Right. So historical context, don't get away from it. Please stay, let the scripture speak for itself, but let it speak in the context of the time that it was written and who it was written to. So Jacob, I mean, so Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob understood the value of the birthright, and he also knew the weakness of his brother. And he got the, he got the birthright. So Jacob, look, Jacob looks at him and says, sell me your birthright. And Esau, you know, turns around and goes, what good's a birthright if you die? I might as well just, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll sell it. Man, it's, you know, I'm hungry. So for bread and stew, he sold his birthright. So he, so he despised it. Esau saw no value in his birthright because he had no value or no understanding of the of the. Uh, value of inheritance and the value of fathering. Fathers understand that birthright and blessing are generational. 
what each of us carry, fathers, mothers, what each of us carry is the ability to bless and to let that blessing be something that goes beyond me. It goes beyond the generation at this moment. I, I spend a lot of time dreaming about great-grandchildren that I haven't seen and may never see, but they're mine nonetheless. And I can speak today, and it runs ahead of me to touch those that haven't even taken their place yet on the earth to fulfill the kingdom of God. We have to understand that. We have to understand that as, for me, as a father, how I live, how I think, how I act, how I speak, those things that I set aside are extremely important beyond me. If I'm caught in the world system, the world system says that I am only an evolutionary product that has no connection to anything and has no life beyond this life. I'm just simply a biological product. If that holds my heart, I will live in a certain way. The way I live will be only for today and whatever is expedient for today and doesn't lay anything aside for what happens after me because the children I have, they're simply a, 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 an evolutionary, evolutionary product as well. Totally hap happenstance. Totally, you know, it's just, just at my base animal instinct instincts and abilities, I have the ability to create a life. But that's not involving God in the creation. It just simply says sperm and egg come together. If it all works out, shazam. We got a kid. Right? But if I hold that as a father, and I'm not despising my birthright, and I'm not willing to sell my birthright, and I'm not willing to compromise by birthright, when I understand that, that that's how I live, then there's something going on that's beyond me. There's something going on that involves God and some place of spirituality on this planet that is bigger than how I live today. It's bigger than just what, what works for me today. If I'm going to be a, a father, a natural father, if I'm going to be a spiritual father, whichever it is, it involves laying down my life for another and another and another and another. Because there's something beyond me. There's something that does go on from generation to generation. It isn't just a biological process that human beings, like all the other animals, have the ability to do to propagate our species, it's more than that. There's something that is divine. There's something that is God-breathed every time a life is created. 
And every life has the ability to reflect the creator. We have some friends whose uh, granddaughter was born <clears throat> with an extremely rare uh, birth defect. Um, and so there's various things that she's not capable of. But what she is capable of, if you'll look, she radiates her creator. And being physically flawed doesn't stop that. Right? So fathers understand that birthright and blessing are generational. So this story keeps going. I mean, it, uh, for Jacob and Esau, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't get better for a while. Genesis 27, verse 33. So, um, you know, the, I'm jumping ahead, but there was, there was another meal, and Jacob was blessing who he thought was Esau, but he ends up blessing Jacob. Jacob was notorious for being at the right place at the right time for Jacob. So verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violent and he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate all before you came, speaking you being Esau, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said, My father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times, and he took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all your brothers. And I have given him for your servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. And Esau lifted his voice and he wept. This is an interesting, when we're talking about generational blessings and the blessing of a father, the blessing of a mother, I find this an interesting piece of scripture and I'm not going to try to fully explain it to you because I don't know. What I do know is this. When I bless, when you bless, there is something powerful that moves in the words that I release that can't be undone by natural circumstances. When I bless someone, there is something powerful in the words that cannot be undone and cannot be changed by natural circumstances because they're spiritual words that have life within them that cannot be extinguished. Why did Esau tremble? Because he could not undo what he had just done. Even though it was gained deceitfully by Jacob, 
the blessing that Esau gave was a blessing that was not born in deceit, but was born in expectation. And he couldn't undo it. Esau still didn't get it. He thought blessings are just words. I mean, if you, if you said that over my brother Jacob, ah, oh, come on. Say something nice over me. What am I, chopped liver here? Just say something. Can't you give me a field? Give me a bunch of concubines? I mean, can't you just say something? I mean, give me something. And Jacob couldn't. No, what, what I've given has set a priority now in this family that will now run with this family. And Esau, Jacob will lord over you. Now, interesting, Esau says Jacob stole his birthright. Jacob didn't steal anything. He bought it. So it's funny how circumstance, how we see circumstances changes depending on how it's affecting me. But no, dude, you were the one that walked in and just said, I'm hungry. You, you could have made your own stew. You know, but you sold your birthright. So he didn't steal it. Now, he did finagle the blessing. I'll give him credit for that. So when we're, when we're blessing some, someone, one, we need to be careful with our words. But we also need to know that the words that we release are released and will bring the life of the blessing. So let's jump over to Genesis 48 and look at another one. This one's with Joseph. Now, by the time we get to Genesis 48, a lot has happened in, in uh, Joseph's life. And now Israel is, is at, you know, old in years. And he's been reconnect. Joseph's been reconnected with the family. And that's all sorted itself out. And now Joseph wants Israel to bless his sons. So Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him. He kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them, both Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it upon Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. 
and in them let my name be carried on. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. And when, jo jo when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, he despised him. And he took his father's hand and he moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and he said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessing saying, God make, make, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. This again is just an interesting, interesting dialogue. Um, and okay, so I'm going to go down this trail right now. The other thing that's interesting about the scriptures is um, if you compare them to writings, especially up through the Roman Greco, Greco time of writing, when you look at how things were written, personal detail was not in the writing. It was about the, 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 um, the purpose of the story. So it was to lead you from this point to this point to either teach a moral principle or a life principle or something. But detail was not what would be in the writings. Throughout the scripture, the scriptures are full of detail. If this, if the, if this story I just read had been written in another, you know, in another historical writing of the time, the whole idea of crossing hands, none of that would have been brought up. The point was, this one is going to be this way in life, and this one is going to be that way in life. That's the purpose of the story. So we know where Ephraim and Manasseh are going and how they got there. But the detail pieces are not part of historical writings, except in the scriptures. The Bible is the only collection of writings where detail is throughout. I can see that that really excites you. So in this story, we have the father's blessing again being extended. Joseph knows how things had gone with his uncles, Jacob and Esau, and he wanted to make sure that his blind father didn't mess up. So, Israel, you know, Israel is getting ready to lay his hand, and Joseph, you know, again, this, this is when it, Scripture says that Joseph despised his father. They've only recently got back together. Joseph has been a political leader for quite a while. So when he said, do this or do that, people did it. Or there were consequences. Israel is getting ready to bless the two boys. And he's not going to do it the way Joseph wants it done. And Joseph had the audacity to take his father's hand, take his hand, and put it on the other one's head. 
And from this, from this point, he despised his father there. That was an extremely rude thing to do to the, to the head of the clan, right? So Joseph, over the years, had had a lot of things worked out of him. Not quite everything yet. But Israel was like, no, no. Why? Because Israel saw the prophetic destiny in both of the boys. So when we're blessing someone, if, if the Holy Spirit is giving me an insight into something for that individual, then I need to say it, I need to release it, um, and let it rest on that individual. So Israel knew what he was doing, even though Joseph didn't like the fact that he wasn't honoring the birth, the birth order. So in these verses, I just want us to, one, again, to, to see that as a father, as a mother, I have the ability to, to bless my children, my natural children. As a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, I have the ability to bless my spiritual children. And with both of those, when I bless someone, it carries weight. You, know, you guys expressed last week, you're starting to feel the weight of the transition. And it's going to get more. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, like as a, as a spiritual father, the joy I have in, in these two is that when I started out, I didn't have anybody that laid hands on me and blessed me. I, I, I went for years floundering at a sense because I didn't have a blessing that rested upon me. Now, obviously, Christ was in me. He was blessing me, Holy Spirit. It's not, all those things are true, which is why I'm here. And you can do it without it. If you think that, oh, my goodness, I got to... I mean, I got to find somebody. Maybe I can just find somebody on Google that blesses people because I need a blessing because I can't live life without a blessing. Yes, you can. You are already blessed in heavenly places. You're already seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. You're already enveloped in him. We all have more than enough to succeed. Blessing or no blessing. Cheap blessing or rich blessing. We all ha have more than enough. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there, there are these places that are designed in the kingdom where heaven and earth touch, and it happens through human touch. It happens through human voice. I, I can pray, and I can feel his presence, and I can know his anointing, and I can sense where I'm supposed to go and how I'm supposed to go. I can have all that. But when you're sitting there one day and somebody that's at the church says, oh, and I have a word for you. And you get that word. Now, whether they're saying it as a blessing per se or they're just saying it as a prophetic word. But when you get it, there's something that's rich about it. Because in these cases, the blessing was the actual laying on of hands. Israel was putting his hands on the head of those boys. Right? We, we are created 
as human beings to, that we need other human beings. We're not created to be solitary objects. My fullest potential happens in the midst of other people. Without that, I can achieve, and many people do. But achieving and full potential are not the same thing. So I can, I can achieve a lot of things and still be lonely, be removed, be distant, not let anybody in. You know, uh, I, I read, um, oh, what was his name now? Um, I can't think of his name at the moment, but it was, he's a philosopher. He was talking about that um, the problem with love is, is it creates a lot of problems in a nutshell. And so if you don't, the, the best way to protect yourself from the problems that love creates is don't love. Just isolate yourself. Pull in, pull in, pull in, pull in, pull in. And at the end of his, of this, him walking us through this pulling in, he comes to the place and he goes, and so this is the problem with love. After having pulled in to protect myself completely, I now find that all I'm left with is loving myself, and that's the cruelest love I've found. Well, maybe he was plagiarizing it. <laughs> Which would be a good thing to plagiarize if you're going to. Actually, I plagiarize the scriptures every Sunday. So, <laughs> so when, we, when we look at spiritual fathers, we look at spiritual mothers, and we look at what is it to be involved in a community, what does it look like? And... And as the blessing of the, there, there's a place where blessings of the fathers, of the mothers, are to be realized in the community. In the same way that in our natural family, you know, um, there's the whole place of coming together, there's the place of eating together, we live together, we argue together, we love together, we talk together, we do life together. That's what family is. Church is the same that all, all those dynamics take place. So, and for us in the New Testament, we are a new covenant family. We're not an old covenant family. We're a new covenant family. And covenant speaks of relationship and family. Generational blessing is of a high importance in a healthy church where fathers and mothers are giving blessing. We, we begin to see that there's a generational blessing here in this church. Um, and I've, I've, it's been a while, but I've said this before, with several pastors that I interact with on a regular basis, they have no vision for the church, they're the church that they pastor, they have no vision for that church beyond themselves and have pretty much resolved themselves that when they retire, that'll be the end of the church. Now I'm not even saying that's wrong. I'm saying Holy Spirit is free to do whatever he wants, and maybe that, maybe that is true. It's not my place to, to judge that, but what I'm, when I sit in those conversations, I find myself going, well, that's empty. So you're going to invest your whole life into something, and 
when it's done, it's over with. It's, it no longer exists. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that because I, I can, for me, I can only think generationally. I've been brought up to think general, generationally. I, I lived in a, in a family structure because it was a farming family predominantly. Farming families think differently than other families. We didn't just work at the steel mill and think, well, when you hit retirement, man, that's it. You know, I don't give a rip about the steel. I'm, I'm done. I put in my time. I'm out of here. A farming family, each generation is seen as the next ones that the land belongs to. And so it's assumed, not always works out that way, but it's assumed when kids come in, kids are going to work on the land, kids are going to be part of this enterprise called farming, and when I'm too old to do what I need to do in the field, the next generation is going to take my place because the farm will continue. And you've heard me say this before, but you know, the land that I live on, I'm the fourth generation to turn that soil. It feels good to me when I turn that soil. It feels good to me, and I just did it yesterday actually, to go out and walk a part of where we live and just stand there and feel ownership. I feel different. I feel different about me. I feel different about the land I'm on. I feel different about where we're going with that land. Um, I'm in the process, it's, and it's a long process, but I'm in the process of putting our farm in land preservation so that it'll always be farmland. We will never have houses as a crop. And for me, the reason I'm doing that is because each generation before me left the land to the next generation so that now it belongs to me. I'm the, and when I say it belongs to me, I don't mean that in a self-centered way. I'm merely the caretaker. So I'm supposed to steward this land the rest of my life. I'm responsible for this land the rest of my life. And I'm responsible in my stewardship the best I can to prepare it for the next generation that's going to own it when I'm gone. It is. It is. It, it requires that there's a, and, and thankfully there's some programs, you know, with this, within the state that allow me to, to preserve it. And we, I mean, basically in land preservation, we sell the development rights. So we do get a financial um, payment for that. And then, then that land is now a new deed's written and it's preserved and it can never be, it can be sold, but whoever buys it knows they can only raise crops on it. You can't do anything else, right? So here is the same way. I can't imagine Investing the time that I've invested in being the pastor here with the thought, well, the day I retire, they walk out the door, lock it, put a for sale sign out front and go, well, that was nice. It's like, no, that makes no sense to me because 
all of you have invested in this, in your giving, in your, in your work, in your time. You've all invested and have an investment, and so you have ownership here. We all own this place. And I would suggest if you've never done it, at some point when you walk on the property, sitting in your car, come in, whatever, take a few minutes and just stand there and feel the ownership. And again, that isn't in some kind of self-centered, weird way. We've all been made stewards of this. And God has chosen to take this piece of property and fill it with a group of people that can reflect him to the world around us in multitudes of ways. And Diane, with this thing with the, with the dental wagon, dental thing, there's, there's breath on that. There's breath on that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly, but there's breath on that. And I think we need to just be open to what's the next steps that God's going to unfold. Because it won't, the burden, Diane may feel it, but the burden isn't on her. If God's releasing it, the burden is getting it out of our mouth. You did that today. Once it's out, it's now out. Hallelujah. It's looking for a place yes. to, to rise up. So just be sensitive to that. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know how much time it will take. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is the breath of God is on it. And when his breath is on it, something is going to happen. At a certain point, John Wicks and I met at a, at a Applebee's in, where the heck were we? Someplace in Pennsylvania. At an at a Applebee's in um, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I started talking about foundation builders, and there was breath on it, and we knew it. And all these, all these years later, it's coming to pass. Because in his providence the, is where those blessings that we give, that's where they reside. They, they couple into God's providence. So at a certain point, things are, are right for something to be born. Um, just as a, a, maybe another aside, but uh, this week we, we've hired a, a law firm in Abaco, that rep is going to represent foundation builders there because we've got you know, government documents we've got to get squared away. But the attorney for this law firm is called Sovereign Advisors, which I really like that name. <laughs> Sovereign Advisors. Yeah, I think there's got some kingdom stuff in there somewhere. So anyway, and our, our, the attorney that's representing is Mr. Barry Griffin. And... Um, so there, there was been some correspondence back and forth. They accepted us. We had to pay a retainer and all the things that went into that. But Barry says, uh, you know, with what you guys are proposing, I really like the idea, and I think there's a place for a school on Grand Bahama Island and probably several other islands in the Bahamas. Would you be open to that? We don't even have the first one built. We're now up to three. And, and I just found myself going, in, in God's timing, in his providence, things will unfold. But 
you know, as we've said, we incorporated in 2016. And here we are kicking 2023 in the tail. And you're going, most of that time, if you looked at what, if you looked at us from the outside, we looked like nothing was happening because it was not happening. And you tried to, we were trying to sell a product that you had nothing behind it except an idea. And selling an idea is not an easy thing to sell, especially when you'd like people to give money towards your idea. That gets really difficult. But then at the right time, it unfolded. So we realize that it's generation, you know, that, that the generational blessing is of a high importance. So even here, we're moving forward. There'll be a point where there's a transition of leadership, but that doesn't change the vision. That doesn't change the life of the community. That only brings in another whole time for God to raise up a new set of people who will take it further than it was in the first place. You know, four generations later, I'm living on the benefits of my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my uncle who worked their tail off as farmers eating dust. And I have a hot mixed driveway. <laughs> I'm living better than they, any of them lived on that inheritance. Right? But that's what inheritances are for, is to, take the, is to equip the next generation to whatever my capacity is to give something, to impart something into that generation that they can then take and hopefully take it further than what I was able to take it. Okay, let's get through this. Um, in a healthy church, in a healthy community, elders are to be honored for the spiritual wisdom they possess. In the world, youthfulness is valued. In the kingdom, white hair is a sign of wisdom. Um, and some of us have got, got lots of wisdom. I just hide mine. It's the, it's the blessing of blonde hair. You guys just can't tell. It's already turned white, but just just looks blonde. In the culture of honor, we celebrate the advancement or favor that's on another because we know our position is based on who we are, not what we do. Fathers, mothers in this church, we want to see our children do better and go farther. Fathers, mothers, and power. In a healthy church, there's no pecking order or hierarchy in a community, in a covenant community. Leaders know they are where they are because, not because they're the best, but because they have been placed as a father by Ava to raise up children. You know, I love the, the commercial that's out for, um, I think it's Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And it just talks about, you know, this kid asked the, fa asked the father a question, and the father, like, is bumbling through these answers and doesn't know quite what to do and everything. And, and the gist of it is, you know, the, your kids, they're not asking you to be perfect. They're just asking you to be present for, for all of us. I mean, you know, I, you guys were joking about, 
the, the announcements today, you know, you two were talking about the announcements. Your, your guys are really taking that and looking really sharp. And the reason you are is I set the bar so stinking low. <laughs> that, that, that it was easy to get the lift. You just have to get the date and the time right. I never was able to get those two things sorted out. And people still give me notes to, to announce stuff. I'm like, really? Really? How do you even have an ounce of trust that I'm going to get this right? I don't know. I don't know. But, but you guys are doing great. The bar has been raised. So we want to see people empowered. You know, there's no pecking order. And the leaders know that we're, I am be here because at some point I said yes to something that was stirring in my heart. I didn't even know what I was saying yes to. I didn't know the potential of what the yes would create. I just said yes. And somehow have spent the rest of my life trying to figure out that yes. And you guys are going to do the same thing. It's, I mean, that's all God is trying to get us to. It's like a yes. So why me? Why not somebody else? I don't know. I mean, why, do we, why are we asking? Or maybe nobody's asking that question. I've asked that question. Um, why ask the question? The question is immaterial. If he's Lord, he will assign each of us the task that he wants us to do. And if we say he's Lord and live as though he's Lord, then I say yes. And somehow in the yes, start, things start to flow towards a yes once it's spoken. If it's not spoken, things will still be there, but they're not going to connect to you because you haven't said yes. And... You can see this how you want, but from my perspective, those, all the providence for yes, it's, it's there. And if I ultimately don't say yes, and the next person says yes, all that I could have had now goes to that person. That's not an that's not a eternal being or not being with God statement. Just talking about in life. Things flow to us. When we say yes, the law of attraction brings things to us. If I don't say yes, those things are still there. They're just waiting for a yes. And if, it's, if I don't give the yes and somebody else does, it flows to them. That's one of the reasons why I've tried to spend most of my life saying yes to things, even though some things I've said yes to, after it started to unfold, I went, good Lord, what was I thinking? <laughs> but what I've, I, what I've been able to see is in the places where I said yes from a heart desiring to serve him, when it should not have been a yes, he has an amazing way to get me out of it which gives me confidence to say yes to more things. Um, he, because he, in my yes is his will, his direction, and, and he, will, he will put me in if I need to be in, and I've seen times where he, find, he got me out, um, sometimes not without a certain amount of screaming and yelling, but he got me out, and I was able to move on, and... Um, and it's given me uh, 
more wisdom in, in the places I should say no. And a covenant, a covenant church does not cohabitate or rape to bring forth children, but the children are the offspring of knowing, yada. When I say cohabitate, we cohabitate when children are born out of passion without commitment. When people will be drawn into something because of the, the gifts that are working in the moment, the, the, you know, the sense of anointing that's there, people will be attracted for various reasons. But if all they're doing is coming in but never committing, never becoming a part of the community, then we're just cohabitating. And any anybody and the potential, because this is not a, an absolute, but the potential with people that come in, that are drawn in by those that are just um, here for the, for the bells and whistles or the passion, whatever you want to say, and they bring people in, what I've seen over time, very often those people don't stay because they weren't born out of commitment. And the person that connected them here because they weren't commit, committed, then there's no pathway, there's no... There's no demonstration of what commitment looks like. You just come when you want to, go where you want, do what you want, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that's children that are born out of uh, cohabitation. And when I say the word rape, which may be a very strong word, but rape is children that are brought forth through control and dominance. We've seen churches that can build a lot of people but at the center of the, of the church government is control and dominance. And you can build with that. But as far as I'm concerned, that's rape because you, to do that, you are taking from somebody something they didn't willfully give. But you manipulated them. In a, in a, in a covenant church, neither of those things should be present. You know, when it, when it says the word knowing, you know, and, and you know, so-and-so knew his wife, knowing isn't a polite word for intercourse, but it reflects the deep relationship between a husband and wife. It's not just the physical side of it. That has its place, but it's the place of knowing. I mean, if, if you, you know, the, the uh, oh, that's a long rabbit trail. Sorry, you can go down that way. You know what I'm talking about. We want relationship, not just an action. In a, in a healthy church, in a new covenant church, the children that are born, uh, children are born out of covenant. They're not born out of, an, or they're not brought out of an orphanage. So when believer, when new people come in and they become believers, the discipleship that should start to take place in a healthy church is one that is integrating the person into the community, making a way for them to come into the community, and they know that they're loved, that they're supported, they're cared for, that being a part of this community is vital for them, vital for the community. Um, when people come in and they function as orphans, then that whole orphan spirit will carry a whole different 
way of seeing things. So children are born in the atmosphere of knowing their identity and birthright. In a family, we know we have spiritual relatives that guard, guide, and nurture and release into adulthood the children of the covenant. We are all called sons in the kingdom, not based on actual gender, but based on inheritance. Old covenant daughters didn't have a legacy, only sons. New covenant, we are all sons, and as such, we all have been made joint heirs with Christ. And that's probably good enough for today as far as... Um, yeah, where we're at. I think that's good enough. Almost good enough. One more thing. So in a healthy church, the unhealthy don't control the vision or the atmosphere of the community. It remains healthy. Control is not used from the leadership to the community or the community to the leadership. Integrity is a high value. The fruit of the Spirit in a person's life is central to the individual stepping into leadership positions over giftings. There is an honoring of the individual gifts in the church. There is an honoring of where a person is on their path to growth and healing. Offenses are handled in a healthy way with reconciliation and forgiveness to primary goal. The overall vision of the community is seen as the goal, not the agenda of an individual. Leadership is trusted to facilitate this. The leadership facilitates a flow of the gifts in conjunction with the vision of the community. The expectation of healing and deliverance is a core belief of the community. People coming into the atmosphere of that community will notice love and freedom. Joy is a central expression of the community. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit will be a regular part of the community instead of something scheduled. And I do want to say with joy, we were talking about joy at, during worship, and, and it was, that was all just really good and rich. Joy isn't predicated on circumstances. Joy runs beyond my circumstances in any given moment. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. If there was anything that would bum you out on any day, it should be that. And yet for joy, he went through the cross, came out the other side. So there's always going to be those places where there's moments of suffering, there's a season of suffering or whatever, but the joy runs through it. It runs through it. The joy of the Lord is my So if it's my strength, the time I need joy most is when life sucks. Oh, I'm, can you say that word? Okay, so it's accepted in our lexicon. <laughs> I don't know. I said one word once. I didn't mean to, but I said it. I think I remember. Yeah. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> Signs of an unhealthy church are the, or the characteristics of a church that functions as an orphanage. Leadership is gifts-based. 
Position is held by performance. Competition drives leadership. Control is used to keep order. Orphans are, being, are looking to be noticed so that they can be picked. The inner circle of leadership becomes elitist in character. Empowerment and blessing are not present. In orphanages, there's no fathers or mothers building relationship. Orphans are looking for someone to notice their ability so they can get a name. Performance, gifting, and ability are synonymous with my name. If someone is better than me, I must put them down so that they don't look better than me. Integrity, the fruit of the spirit, is of little value and primarily used only to gain influence. And that is where I'm going to stop. I'm taking my glasses off. I'm putting them away. Anything I say from this point on will be fuzzy. <laughs> so it's a good time to stop. We just need to keep running the way we're running. Holy Spirit will continue to, to develop us, will shape us, will guide us. Uh, I trust him immensely in what he's doing. Um, we're, you know, we're now a year and a half out from, from the change in leadership. I think we're in a good place. Uh, I'm, I am pleased with where we are. And as I said, in a, in a healthy church, it's not about uh, position or gifts. It's about relationship and us living in healthy relationship. Um, one of the things, just by reference, one of the things that we're doing for the next 90 days is Mike and Tat are working on some things, their own personal stuff. And the leadership, after looking things over, felt it would just be a really good place to give them a 90-day sabbatical so they don't have to deal with the pressure of having this coming every seven days, um, that they can actually focus on themselves and, and what needs to take place there. So we bless them in that. Um, they, they're still the worship pastors. They're, uh, we agree that they are still, they still get a stipend for doing what they're doing, and we're just looking forward to the full fruit of what's going to come out of their, their time. So... Um, the only the only caveat that was that was made, which I agreed to reluctantly, I'll say, but re, um, is that in the 90 day period you will not see me leading worship. So, Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the fathers of this house. Lord, may we continue to, to mature and to grow and to be the men of God you've called us to be. Jesus, may we all be people that the world runs to instead of from. Because the fruit of the Spirit.